Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. 14 weeks. We're on episode 14, and uh, I'm just... I'm just so happy that the show has grown this much and I have some listeners and supporters from all over the world and I want to thank you all uh, for listening and staying tuned and listening to this this little show here with me. Uh, we got a, we got some music stuff to talk about. I saw this trending on Twitter the other day and I thought it'd be interesting to to cover this. Now, I'm referring to the MTV VMA, VMAs, the 2020 VMAs. Um, I don't really keep up with award shows as much. I used to really be into them when I was younger. And, and I guess to validate sort of my pick for uh, a best movie or, or best artist, I actually never really watched a Grammys before. I've watched, actually, no, 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 that's not true. I've watched a couple of Grammys, but the award shows that I would always tune in and watch were the Oscars. And in high school, especially, I would always be so mad when the animation awards never covered any any anime films or the films that I wanted to see. And I would always look for the Oscars and, and wait for the best movie of the year so I can be like, oh, yes, I either I saw that movie already and it, it is good or this one best movie of the year. Now I have to watch it. <laughs> So that, that, that was um, my experience with award shows growing up. But also growing up, I wasn't really into music. So I never tuned in to see the VMAs or the Grammys. And while I didn't tune in to the actual program this year, uh, I, I did see a lot of talk on Twitter and that piqued my interest. So I'm going to be reacting to the VMA winners in this past year. I looked up this Pitchfork article that basically states the, the, the list of the VMA 2020 winners. So let's take a look here. So we have Artist of the Year, which included DaBaby, Justin Bieber. Did he release anything last year? Why is he on the, the list? Lady Gaga, uh, Megan Thee Stallion, Post Malone, and The Weeknd. The winner was Lady Gaga. Now I'm guessing that she won because of Chromatica these past year, um, which was an okay album. I thought it was just a, a fine Eurodance uh, revival album? Is there even a Eurodance revival scene? It pays homage to Eurodance, and because of that, there was certainly a nostalgia factor to it, and I did enjoy listening to a couple of, of those songs, but I, I definitely wouldn't say Lady Gaga wins Artist of the Year because of Chromatica, and I still don't know what Justin Bieber did, but at the same time, I don't think any of these other artists deserve Artist of the Year. The Baby is an all right rapper. I recently listened to Blame It On Baby, and I didn't really care for it. <laughs> um, still don't know what Justin Bieber did. Megan Thee Stallion, I don't know what she did. Post Malone, didn't he release something recently in the past year or so? I'm not really a fan of him anyway. Never really been a fan of Post Malone. And, and same with The Weeknd, but I can say that After Hours was a, a, a pretty decent album. But I, I don't think... I, maybe if I were to replace Lady Gaga, I'd give it to The Weeknd, because After Hours was a significantly better album than Chromatica. Uh, Song of the Year had Billie Eilish's Everything I Wanted, Doja Cat's Say So, Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande with Rain On Me, Megan Thee Stallion with Savage, Post Malone with Circles, and Roddy Rich with The Box. Now, if it were up to me, I would give it to Roddy Rich 
because the box is actually a really great song one that i keep returning to one that i find myself humming to if not roddy then i would actually give it to doja cat because say so was a, a huge song and it's still memed on i think it's very catchy but no way in hell am i giving it to lady gaga and Ariana grande for rain on me i don't even remember rain on me <laughs> that's how that's how bad i think it is maybe even billy eilish with everything i wanted i if you asked me a year ago i would have said no because i think billy eilish's music was boring or i didn't really see what, what what all the fuss was about but as of recently i think I've, I've changed my mind on billy eilish i think she's a very talented artist i'm looking forward to her new project if she's dropping one soon and i've been meaning to listen to her her debut album but uh, like I said, I definitely would not give it to Lady Gaga or Ariana Grande. They don't know. So skipping ahead, I, I got to best hip hop. This article just says best hip hop. I'm guessing it's a song as I don't recognize uh, any of these as, as albums. So we have Baby's Bop, Eminem's Godzilla featuring Juice World, Future Life is Good featuring Drake, Megan Thee Stallion with Savage, Roddy Rich with The Box, and Travis Scott with Highest in the Room. Megan Thee Stallion one, but again, I would have to give it to, to The Box. Like I said, I love that song. It has great production. Roddy has a killer flow on that track. I don't think I would give it to anyone else. I didn't really see the, the hype with Godzilla or with Bop or with Highest in the Room. Honestly, I think Roddy deserves, deserves to win the best hip-hop song. Looks like uh, The Weeknd won the best R&B song with Blinding Lights. And I have to agree, that is actually a really good song. That is a banger, very catchy. Uh, looks like BTS won Best Pop Song with On. Yeah, I don't mind. Like I said last week, the K-pop scene has kind of been growing on me. Uh, so, so I think it's great that uh, BTS won the Best Pop Song. Best Rock features a Blink-182 song, a Coldplay song, an Evanescence song. What? They released something? Um, Fall Out Boy, Green Day, and The Killers. Um, wow. I, I've not listened to, actually, no. I've listened to Caution by The Killers because that was on, that was featured on their latest album. But I haven't listened to any of these songs. I even know Evanescence released something new. Wow. Uh, Coldplay won Best Rock Song with Orphans. I haven't heard Orphans. Um, I guess judging on the fact that I've only listened to Caution by the Killers, I would give it the award to, to them, but yeah, I, I, I don't know any of these songs. Oh, I probably avoided Blink-182's album and Green Day's album because I heard horrible things about them. And to be fair, I don't really follow them anymore. I think both bands have fallen off since their glory days, so that's probably why I haven't heard them. It's a shock to me still that Evanescence had released something new. BTS won Best K-Pop Song. Best group was awarded to BTS. There was also Five Seconds of Summer, uh, the 1975, Blackpink, Chloe X Hall, Cinco, Little Mix, Monsta X, New, Now United, 21 Pilots. I actually don't know most of these groups. I definitely would have not given it to 21 Pilots or the 1975. They are groups that I have tried to like for a while, and I just can't get myself around to listening to, to those two bands anymore. I actually used to really like 21 Pilots when I was in high school. And I guess even the 1975, a couple years ago, I really dug their music. But I think when, I think the first episode of Sound Encounters, or maybe the second, when it was called The Playback, I ripped that new 1975 a new one. I did not like that record. Looks like the 1975 were contenders for Best Alternative Song. If You're Too Shy, Let Me Know was on this list. 
So was Lana Del Rey's doing time and level of concern by 21 pilots, but Machine Gun Kelly won with Bloody Valentine. I, I don't really listen to Machine Gun Kelly, nor do I listen to 21 Pilots anymore. And I honestly don't remember doing time by Lana Del Rey. I've been meaning to re-listen to her latest or her last project, I should say. But um, I guess as long as 1975 didn't win, I, I, did, I don't really care. And I'll be completely honest, I don't really watch music videos. So I'm seeing all these best choreography, best editing, best video, best quarantine performance. What? Who's Cinco? Unplugged at home. John Legend was also nominated. Lady Gaga's Smile from One World. Post Malone's Nirvana tribute. Maybe I should actually see that. That sounds interesting. Best visual effects. Yeah, so I'm not going to go over everything because I haven't uh, seen everything, nor do I watch music videos all that much. This segment is getting a, a bit too long, a bit lengthy. But uh, judging by what I just saw, who won and, and whatnot, I think I made the smart decision to uh, stay away from the MTV vma awards uh this year were there any controversial picks this year did anyone did did, did did you guys watch the vmas this year uh let me know you could tweet at me you could send me a voice message on anchor.fm maybe i need to listen to more of these artists and, and actually watch music videos I, i'm not sure i don't yeah I, I still maybe i think the last music video i watched was for a recent perfume genius song off of uh that new record uh set my heart on fire immediately, but I don't actively go out of my way to watch music videos. Actually, no, I did watch that BTS, the, the, the Dynamite by BTS. I did watch that, so I'm a liar. But I can't lie to you guys. I have a great show for you this week. I'm unveiling a new segment, so that will be pretty exciting. But first, as always, we have to get into this past week in music. All right, so we've actually had a very hefty week this past week. I have a handful of albums, but of course, I got to get to the singles first. I want to start off with this new Julia Halter song, which is actually a cover of a Fleetwood Mac song by the name of Gold Dust Woman. Just like Halter, she injects her brand of art and ambient pop that is absolutely breathtaking. It starts with just Halter's vocals and repeated piano keys. And then it gradually develops into this gorgeous ethereal piece with her vocals echoing out and these twinkling and dreamy synths off in the background. It's a gorgeous cover. Wouldn't expect less from Halter. I just wish it was new material. And I wish there was like some sort of announcement like, oh, she's coming out with like a any sort of album, whether it be new material or covers, because man, she poured her heart and soul out into Aviary. So I'd be happy if she was just like, I'm going to release a covers album and... Because I did pour my heart and soul out into Aviary. <laughs> Regardless, it's still a good cover. But who is coming out with a new album is Clipping. And they teased it with this new track, Say the Name, from their forthcoming album, Visions of Bodies Being Burned. This will be the second installment in their horrorcore series, which is new to me. I didn't realize they were going to make a, a series or a trilogy out of this concept. But I'm pretty happy with it. There are ominous synths. There's a dance-like beat. David's delivery is cold, but he still has such an amazing flow. And much like the songs on the last record, these songs' lyrics tell a horror story. This seems to have a, a connection to, to the story of the Candyman, references to a hook. Candyman is a, is a hook-handed killer, and David constantly saying, say the name, because you got to say the 
Candyman's name, I think, five times in the mirror before he appears. But another bone-chilling banger from Clipping. We're really looking forward to what they have to offer with this next album. And next, we have Mother Please Don't Be Sad by The Flaming Lips. Another single from The Lips. Like, half of the album is out now. Uh, But this one isn't terrible. It has this somber piano melody with these rising dramatic strings and that explodes into this full-blown psych song with soaring guitars and synths. It does end abruptly, which is frustrating, but I'm, I'm sure it'll transition into the, the next song in the track list. But yeah, I, I surprisingly, I didn't hate this song. And speaking of artists that can't stop releasing singles, we have a new track from JPEG Mafia. This one is called Last Dance. This one's all right. It's a pretty chill song with a lax flow until the trumpets kick in and the bass cranks up. An average JPEG song, go check it out. Surprise, surprise, we have two new songs from the Smashing Pumpkins, Seer and The Color of Love. I didn't check out their last album, which was released in like last year or two years ago. I, I don't remember. Mainly because I wasn't interested, but now I am. What does Smashing Pumpkins have to offer in 2020? Seer is this moody synth pop dance song. The beat is all right. It's danceable. I think I have a problem with Billy's vocals, though. I usually like his voice and his delivery, but for this song, it just seemed really grating, especially in the chorus. He seemed to exaggerate the end of the chorus, the word verge, and it really took me out of the track. The Color of Love doesn't fare any better. I think the synths and the beat are are worse on this track. They really sound uninspired and generic, and the lyrics and the vocals don't really help at all. I just didn't really care for these two tracks. Next up, I heard Anything by Adrian Lanker, and I'm glad I caught this one. Almost started to record this segment without listening to it. If you don't know who Lanker is, she's the lead vocalist for the indie folk band Big Thief, a band that I continue to fall in love with because of their dreamy and atmospheric arrangements and Lanker's stream of consciousness uh, lyrics. UFOF was one of my favorite albums of last year, and Two Hands was a, was a great follow-up, and now I'm foaming at the mouth for more Big Thief or Adrian Linker content, and this song was perfect. We have these gorgeous guitars. Her voice is beautiful as ever, and, and both of these elements contribute to the ethereal, lullaby-like quality of, of not only her solo material, but of but like Big Thief's music as well. And it's amazing that Linker could write lyrics about mundane, everyday life and transform that with her serene arrangements and voice. Good song. Had a smile on my face the entire time I was listening to it. You better believe I'm eager to hear this new project of hers. And finally, the last track, the last new track that I heard was Good Morning by Black Thought featuring Pusha T, Swizz Beats, and Killer Mike. New Black Thought project coming out, Streams of Thought Part 3. This beat is gritty. Everyone, Black Thought, Push, and, and Killer Mike hold their own. Not a single weak verse here. I've been bumping this track all week long so freaking good cannot wait for the next installment for the streams of thought series and that does it for the singles let's get into the lps first i heard whole new mess by angel olsen we've gotten two teasers leading up to this thing and, and now it's out i thought it was a new album with a new material but it turns out it's just reworkings of songs from her album all mirrors which were apparently recorded prior to the recording of the the studio album of, of all mirrors we have these stripped-down acoustic versions of these songs, which was alluded to in the teacher tracks, uh, Whole New Mess and Waving Smiling. Angel and her engineer, Michael Harris, recorded these songs in a Catholic church, 
and the church's corridors give her voice this natural echo. And, you know, after listening to this project, I've learned to appreciate the languid and intimate arrangements of the songs Whole New Mess and Waving Smiling. I still think they sound unfinished or maybe even rushed, but if the rest of the album was going for this mood and style, surely we would get a, a satisfying album. I've already heard All Mirrors, and I liked most of the songs on that record, so hopefully I can listen to these reworkings without wanting to listen to the grand and beautiful arrangements of her last album, and uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> While listening to this album, I found myself comparing these songs to their 2019 counterparts often. Lark, the opening track to All Mirrors, is this grandiose buildup of Angel's vocals, strings, drums, synths. It's an emotional and spectacular opener to that record, and that's what kept going through my mind while listening to Lark's song. I, I would rather listen to that version than this one. While listening to Impasse, working for the name, all I could think of was how much better it would sound with the buildup of synths and that amazing climax of drums and, and strings that is found on the All Mirrors version. Luckily, her vocal delivery is as emotional and passionate as the All Mirrors version, but only having the distorted guitars didn't work for me. I will say that there are some reworkings that I ended up liking. What it is, what it is, is a charming folk version of the original song with guitar chords taking the place of the propelling synths. I could see myself returning to this version often. And I like this version of Summer as much as I like the Almira's version. I think when it comes to this specific song, though, it's all in the vocal melody. That's what stood out to me the most while listening to the 2019 version. And that's still intact on this version. And I like the soft guitars on this one. It provides for a relaxing, even psychedelic folk song. But for the most part, I just didn't enjoy this version as much as All Mirrors, and I don't really see myself returning to this project as much. Next, I listened to CTV3, Cool Tapes Volume 3 by Jaden. I'll admit, I don't listen to Jaden Smith's music. I've been discouraged from listening to his music ever since his cringy Twitter rants and I have heard songs from him in the past, like Watch Me and Goku, two songs I can't stand because it's repetitive lyrics and obnoxious production, specifically Goku. But hopefully enough time has passed and hopefully he's not that kid anymore. Uh, that's what was going through my mind before I pressed play and, and, and justifying me listening to a Jaden project. And luckily, I didn't cringe as much as I thought I would. In fact, a lot of these songs are lovesick ballads. You know, boy meets girl, boy and girl are in love with each other, they spend their afternoons on bikes and on the beach, they separate, boy misses girl, you get the idea. And I was happy that Jaden wasn't trying to push that persona of him being this intellectual genius, because that could have gotten annoying very quick. Instead, it seems like he's attuned to the pop rap and alternative R&B genres, singing about love and girls. I can't help but think about Brockhampton or Tyler, the creator, and their music as Jaden's songs sound similar to those artists, which means that it's not entirely original. Dreamy guitars, generic beats, autotune vocals accompany a lot of these songs, and it just sounds like your average bedroom rap song, and I just find that boring, especially since it sounds like he's writing the same song over and over again. Young love in the summertime, chill vibes, it's very repetitive, and it gets stale quickly. Like the stretch of songs from Lucy to Muted Sunrise follow that lyrical and narrative pattern with uninteresting instrumentation. But to give him credit, 
there are moments on CTV3 where he shows an ability to write a catchy rap or pop song and execute that well. Rainbow Pap was the first highlight of the album for me. It's a catchy boom-pap pop rap song with a dreamy guitar in the background, and I actually thought Jaden's flow and lyrics were well done here. Nothing too crazy, Jaden sings about a girl that he likes with some political lyrics. He doesn't really delve into that, and I'm glad because it would have distracted from the song's main narrative, although I think that KRS line is a bit ridiculous. Everything had a nice end-of-summer bedroom pop vibe to it. Verse 2 switches it up with a rap verse, while everything else is akin to like an R&B ballad. Chorus is pretty lame though, given how it's just You're My Everything repeated. Cabin Fever had a nice indie pop progression that I vibed to. I was surprised by how much I liked Young and Love. The chorus is very catchy. The production was clean and chill. And hey, I have to give credit to Jaden because his flow was on point. Verse 3 had me shaking my head though, because he was bragging about being the rap archaeologist and how his contemporaries are not on his level, which I completely disagree with. I definitely think the album gets better as it progresses, but those songs early on in the album were a slog to get through, despite most of them being around two minutes long. Honestly, if, if Jaden hones in on his songwriting skills, I have no doubt he could come through with a decent pop album in the future. And the last record I heard this week was Niagara by Red Veil. I stumbled onto this record uh, due to the Twitter controversy with Anthony Fantano. I was uh, intrigued what was happening, and I was just like, okay. I want to give this album a listen because he says it's trash. Everyone is roasting him. Let's see what this is all about. Red Veil is 16 years old and did the lyrics and production all by himself. That is freaking impressive. One thing that uh, got my attention really quickly was the Earl sweatshirt worship throughout this record. In terms of vocal delivery and production, there's a lot of funk, soul, and jazz sampling glitchy production at times, and overblown bass. And Red Veil delivers most of his lines in a monotone voice, and his flow is very reminiscent of Earl's. But Red Veil is, is, is able to inject his own style and personality into these songs, so he's not just an Earl clone. The opener Campbell does throw me off with its guitar sample, which sounds like it could have been taken straight from some rap songs, but the upbeat funk sample and, and Red Veil's jovial delivery completely dismissed that Earl connection. Plus, Red Veil is open to discussing politics and injustices like on Wait, where he talks about watching black people dying on TV at 11 years old, and now that he's older, he's learned to hate the system and cops. All with this smooth flow, and all I was thinking was, okay, damn, pop off. And I do enjoy the abrasive beat and energetic flow on 5500. It also had this dreamy and psychedelic quality to it as the guitars are, are very bedroom rock and the vocals have a tinge of reverb. And the closing track, Pigeon Man, has the catchiest hook on the album. It also has this vintage jazz and soul sample that I'm a sucker for, but unfortunately the rest of the album doesn't really do it for me as I feel like we have these tedious beats and verses that don't catch my attention as much as the rest of the songs. Also this album is pretty short and does get bogged down with some filler. But that being said, I do think Red Veil has a lot of potential. I could see him being an, an abstract hip-hop icon along with Earl or Madani and, and all those other rappers if he takes the time to improve his craft. I was impressed with a lot of these songs and I hope he's able to impress me with a full-length record later down the line. And that concludes this past week in music. We're going to take a little break and then we return, I'm going to unveil a new segment. 
Stay tuned, everybody. Hello, and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I mentioned that I was going to be unveiling a whole new segment for the show. So when I enter the show, I usually say that I talk about uh, new and classic music releases, and, and I do talk more about new releases than old releases or classic releases. And I did have that one episode about Joy Division's Closer on their on its 40th anniversary, but I don't have a dedicated segment where I talk about classic releases, and I thought it was time to change that. So now I'm going to be talking about essential albums, albums that you should be familiar with, that everyone should listen to at least once in their life, an album that is important to its genre, to the and to, even to the t- entire musical landscape. And to kick off this essential album segment, I, I want to talk about White Light, White Heat by The Velvet Underground. This is the second full-length album released by The Velvet Underground, and it was released in 1968. If you don't know who The Velvets are, I'll give you a, a short little background on The Velvets. They were a New York art rock, experimental rock, and avant-garde rock band. The Velvet Underground was born when guitarist Lou Reed met Welsh classical music student John Cale. Under Lamonte Young's tutelage, Cale brought the drone using his electric viola to the band, and Reed was susceptible to this strange technique as he would tune his guitar so it could produce a droning sound. They also recruited Sterling Morrison, one of Reed's classmates from Syracuse University, who also played guitar. He would switch off between lead and rhythm guitars, as well as the bass guitarist. And Maureen Mo Tucker on drums, who was the sister of Sterling Morris's friend Jim Tucker. And let me tell you guys, Mo was a freaking badass because she's not a traditionally trained drummer. She would replicate the drumming styles of her favorite drummers on, on potted pans when she was younger. And because of of her background in drumming and, and because she was a woman, Lou Reed saw the significance of having a drummer like Mo Tucker in the band and, and decided to bring her on board. They played a lot of gigs around New York City uh, and then would get fired from these gigs because they were a, a bit too weird. I mean, you got somebody playing electric viola, you got a female drummer who's not playing the drums in, in the correct way. They didn't really survive playing gigs around New York City. Luckily for them, a person associated with Andy Warhol was in the crowd watching them perform, and they were so captivated or intrigued by their performance that they went up to them and introduced them to Andy Warhol, who would promote them and produce, producing quotes because he had little to no producing duties on on the, the first record. And then he introduced them to Nico, and the rest is history. While the first album didn't sell a lot of copies when it was first released, it went on to become a landmark in rock music. I guess the band's relationship with Warhol and Nico deteriorated after the release of their first album, so they ended up separating themselves from those two, although Reed and Kale would help contribute to to Nico's early solo career uh, records. So then now we're setting the stage for this second album, White Light, White Heat, and there's no Warhol, no Nico, and this record is usually cited as the purest Velvet Underground release. 
And now with this new record, there were six songs that were very different in tone. Yeah, it's true. A lot of these songs include the provocative lyrics that were prevalent on the Banana album. But, you know, there were moments on that record that had some genuine beauty and wonder. The songs here, though, are aggressive and ugly and even weirder than the songs on the Banana album. Honestly, if you haven't listened to that record, the 1967 Velvet Underground debut with Nico, no more excuses. Listen to that album as soon as you can. It, it really is an important record in rock music history. Hell, you should even pause this podcast and listen to that record. It's that good. You need to listen to it like right now if you haven't. All right, now that we got some of the background out of the way, let's break down this track list. The record starts with White Light, White Heat. It's an explosive start with this frenzy of a track. There's no buildup. There's no warning. It just throws you into what sounds like a song that's been playing for like a minute already. I mean, there's so much going on right from the start. We have the the piano playing this upbeat melody. We can hear the cymbal crashes from Mo as well. And the guitars sound like they are, are screeching along in the background. At first, I couldn't tell if it was if it was a guitar or Kale's viola, but Kale does not play a viola on this track. He plays the piano. Uh, but, but, but in any case, it gives this song its, its wild personality as the guitars feel minuscule compared to the piano and, and the vocal delivery. Plus, the guitars don't really take any shape or form for most of the song. It's just this ferocious background cluster that, that can be disorienting. And that's what this track is. It, it, it is very disorienting. Lou Reed has stated that the song is about shooting methamphetamine with the white light representing the feeling of that meth high and that white light messing your, up your mind, making you go blind, tickling down to your toes and, and making you go insane. And this, of course, isn't the first time Lou wrote about drugs and the experiences under the influence. There's that famous song off the Banana album called Heroin, a song that record labels were afraid to put on the record because consumers wouldn't want to buy it and, and promoters wouldn't want to promote it. But luckily, Verve and, and, and Tom Wilson, the producer for this record and, and the Banana album, kept it on the record and understood the, the genius of that song. And while the song Heroin is explicitly about heroin, White Light, White Heat isn't exactly clear on what that song is about. And the, the lyrics are a bit, uh, the tiniest bit more abstract than what you would listen to on the Banana record. And that's not a bad thing. If anything... It shows the band's growth as artists and as, as songwriters. They are writing lyrics that require a bit more thought, and because of that, many listeners might have different interpretations of, on, on what that song is about. You know, except Luke confirmed that the song was about meth, but you, you get what I'm saying. This is also a song that probably went on to, to heavily inspire the punk rock movement with its fast-paced tempo and ab abrasive guitars. I think it's a testament to this band's brilliance that the first record with Nico, despite it having low sales, whoever bought that record went on to start a band. And with this record, it inspired a whole entire genre. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me that the, the Stooges, Ramones, and the Sex Pistols were influenced by this record and some of the songs on this record. Very iconic opener, really sets the stage for what else is uh, about to come. And then we get into the second track, the gift, and we get more of that Velvet Underground experimentation. If you're listening to this song with earbuds, you'll notice that the right channel plays instrumentation, while the left has Mr. John Cale narrating a story. The story in question is, is, a, is a story that Reed wrote for a, a college writing assignment. And the plot of the story follows 
Waldo Jeffers, a college student who has become paranoid after being separated from his girlfriend, Marsha Bronson, for two months. He fears that she would not remain faithful, even though she promised that she would. And, and he begins hatching a scheme that involved shipping himself to Marsha's front door, where he would kiss her and catch a movie with her. Unfortunately for Waldo, the story ends with Marsha's friend Sheila plunging a sheet metal cutter through the box and straight into Waldo's skull, killing him. You know, despite its horrific ending, you gotta admit that it's pretty funny. Not only is the concept of a person shipping themselves because they are concerned that their significant other is cheating on them is pretty absurd and crazy, but the band has a, has a bit of fun with this song as well. When Kale starts talking about how Waldo understood Marsha and how she needed him and he wasn't there for her, there's a comical like, aww sound, sound effect that never fails to make me laugh every time I hear this song. Also, when Kale reads how Sheila plunged the cutters through the cardboard box, you hear a sound effect that is supposed to mimic the sound that I, it would make, I guess, but it adds some immersion to the song that otherwise wouldn't have been there and, and the story that I didn't expect and enjoyed. Fun fact, the sound effect is actually Lou Reed stabbing a cantaloupe with a knife. And the person that helped them out with this sound effect was Frank Zappa, who happened to be there while they were recording this song. So uh, we have a bit of a, a Frank Zappa influence in this record. The instrumentation is an improvised jam session that the group had recorded. And if you ever just want to hear this alone, just take out your left earbud. But you can hear Reed and Morrison just going at it with the guitars, sometimes producing ear-piercing screeches, and it's an all-around impressive solo. But the highlight of this instrumentation is that catchy bass line. God, is it so good. I was surprised to find out that it was Kale on the bass guitar for this song, but it's just so dirty. One of the best bass lines I've ever heard. And I think it's pretty funny that I overlooked this song when I first heard the record i would either skip it and i and i thought negatively about it but now it's actually one of my favorite songs of all time so silly me moving on we have lady godiva's operation which happens to be a haunting yet calming song the lyrics refer to a botched lobotomy on a transgender woman i know and you can't help but feel bad for this character as the beginning of the song takes us through sort of a day in the life of Lady Godiva. And then we finally learn that she's confident enough to go through with this procedure. And then it ends up horribly. And it gets descriptive near the end. One line that gets under my skin is how the, the ether that the doctor is using is causing her unconscious body to, to wither and writhe. And an another line that is horrifying is, is where the song describes how Lady Godiva wakes up in the middle of the operation and her screams echo down the hall. It's the right amount of description that helps me vividly picture the scene. Like I can imagine this dingy and dirty hospital where the operation is taking place. There's a haziness to the setting too, as, as I picture the ether just spilling all over the place. It's a song that actually makes me feel physically sick to my stomach, which I'm not sure if that was the band's intention, but the, the execution is, is very well done. And I describe the song as calming, and that's kind of due to the low fidelity of the drums, guitars, and the viola. It gives it this fuzzy characteristic to the song. Although I will say the viola produces this eerie drone that enhances this bone-chilling song. On top of that, Kale's voice is quiet and soothing. 
although the, the moment things start going wrong for Lady Godiva, uh, Lou Reed appears on this track. And and I don't know about you, but it, he took me by surprise. You know, he's not shouting, but his vocals are definitely mixed a bit higher than Kale's or the instrumentation. So it was a bit of a shock when he comes out of nowhere. And surprisingly, this song has its comedic moments, most notably Kale's impersonation of an oxygen machine that kind of takes the edge off of this song, especially after you learn that Kale's making these sound effects with his mouth. Lou Reed has stated that this was his favorite part of the song, too, and 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 listening to Kale's impersonation also made him laugh. A very unique rock song, very avant-garde, one that I that I keep returning to and, and sometimes find myself humming, and, and once I find myself humming it, I have to listen to it again. A brilliant song. The next two tracks, I feel, have this connection between them. Here She Comes Now is a gentle piece with a whispered delivery and lo-fi guitars. Nothing too crazy, and, and honestly, I like it because it's a bit of tranquility that gives us a break from the madness of this record. However, I Heard Her Call My Name delves right back into that chaos as it's a loud and aggressive song with atonal guitars, tribal and hypnotic drumming, and wild vocal delivery from Lou. This is another song that could be classified as proto-punk and could have easily influenced early punkers. The reason why I think they are connected is the contrast of soft and gentle to loud and abrasive. Uh, I Heard Her Call My Name begins with Lou singing Here She Comes Now Now, making for a bit of a nice transition between both of those songs. And, and Lou seems to be talking about a woman in both of these songs. Or is he? My initial interpretation was that both of these songs had to deal with Lou's deteriorating relationship with a woman, with Here She Comes Now, describing the butterflies he feels when they first meet, and, and then I Heard Her Call My Name is the anxiety or discontentment he feels when he's with her, realizing the spark is gone. I like my interpretation, even if it doesn't have much merit to it, but I, I think one interpretation that any fan can agree on is that these two songs are about drugs. Here she comes now as, as Lou blissfully waiting for the drug to kick in and he's feeling it coming on and he's thinking, ah, you know, here she comes now. And I heard her call my name as, as Lou under the influence of, of whatever he's taking, causing this manic and frenzied trip that it's personified in this song. You know, and I definitely like both of these interpretations. I, I of course, like mine. So it probably is the simplest interpretation, but... I'm curious, do you guys have any interpretations of both of these songs? Have you ever really thought of these songs being connected? Is there a larger narrative maybe that, that I'm not catching on? Uh, I'm, I'm interested in what your interpretations are. You could send me them on Twitter. You can uh, send me an anchor voice message, and I, I might post this episode up on Reddit. And so if, if I post it on the thread, you can tell me your interpretations as well. And finally, track six, we get to Sister Ray the 17-minute chaotic grand finale to this record. Some facts, the band did this song all in one take, all improvised. They left in all the mistakes that they made. Reed is on guitar and vocals. Morrison is on guitars. Tucker is on drums. And Kale is on an organ that was routed through a distorted guitar amplifier. And because of that, the organ would be as loud or louder than the guitars and, and or lose vocals and... I'm a fan of it. You know, the louder the better. The recording of this track also has a funny story to it as the recording engineer, Gary Kelgren, walked out on them recording the song and said, I don't have to listen to this. Call me when you're done fucking around. The thing is, I, and I'm sure many other Velvet fans, could listen to this song all day. It's very easy to get lost in this masterpiece. 
I couldn't believe what I was hearing when I first heard this song. And, and afterwards, I had a f- newfound respect for the band who, who blew me away on the Banana album. I, I fell in love with this band, you know, when I first heard Venus and Furs, but holy crap, was this something else. I'll try to describe what happens in this song as best as I can, but honestly, it, it's something that you should experience for yourself if you haven't heard this song before. The lyrics describe in Orgy, where everyone is shooting up on heroin, we get introduced to these characters, Duck and Sally, Rosie and Miss Rayon, the sailor, Cecil, and of course, Sister Ray. At some point during the orgy, Cecil pulls a gun on the sailor, shoots him, and the sailor dies. And everyone else is like, no, don't do that. You'll stain the carpet. Eventually, the cops come. It's just a wild and crazy night. This was also a very controversial song at the time, as it referenced uh, fellatio, which was a big no-no. And you have to wonder if, if Reed knew this and sort of downplayed it by referencing the male organ as a ding-dong. Like, it was pretty jarring to hear him say that the first couple of times you know, I heard this song. But now I'm just like, yeah, you know, you know, sucking on a ding-dong. The music perfectly accompanies this story of one wacky night. You know, the guitars are hectic and distorted. The drums are propelling and the organ is dizzying. But remember, this is an improvised song and it's just impressive how this song evolves from the initial riff at the beginning. This song is an avant-garde rock masterpiece. Unfortunately, this is the last time we hear the Velvets like this, as shortly after this album was released, John Cale left the band. John Cale introduced the band to this experimental drone that gave this band its experimental edge on its first two records. And I'm not saying that I dislike Doug Ewell, but I mean, the, the, the whole band just changed after Doug Ewell came on and, and gave it, it its softer and more indie rock aesthetic. And I do love the Grey Album. I think the Grey Album is a fantastic record, but nothing beats these first two Velvet records, especially this record. This entire album is a masterpiece. It's my favorite Velvet album. And it's just one of those funny things where I didn't think much of it when I first heard it. But after, you know, diving into the individual parts of this record, delving, delving into the lyrics and having more of an uh, appreciation for the instrumentation and the songwriting and the improvisation, this quickly became one of my all-time favorites. One of the most important rock acts of all time. Definitely my favorite rock band. You can see why I wanted to do the first essential album segment on this record and on this band this record and and this band just mean so much to me and and i want to close off with this quote from rock critic lester bangs who was talking about the banana album when he said this quote but uh, you know it's it's very true i think it applies to this record as well but mr bangs said modern music starts with the velvets and i couldn't agree more well, I think that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Next week, I think I'll return back to the genre guides and the essential albums within the genre uh, uh, list. I just wanted to take a little break from it. I did three episodes in a row with doing different genres, and I thought, uh, you know, talking about one of my favorite albums of all time would have been a nice break from that routine but guys, you know, let me know what genres you want to hear. Let me know if you got any ideas. 
you can DM me on Twitter, at me on Twitter, send me a voicemail on Anchor. You know how to contact me. Follow The Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.